0: Scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. If you'd like to follow along in your Pew Bibles, that can be found on page 1042. Again, I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing, I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. I'm sure we have many of our own that have begun traveling already uh, for the holiday season, and then I'm sure there are some of you here that that have traveled to Mount Juliet, or maybe you're here from the community and come over and visit us, and we're thankful for that. Uh, We really are. As we think about joy of the season, Uh, There may have been some things this past week that brought a lot of uh, joy to you. Uh, I've already heard from several of you kind of surprised when if you live in the city of Mount Juliet, when you went to your mailbox and you saw that the town planner this year has our the picture of our church building on the cover. It's kind of hard to miss that. It's a beautiful uh, picture that, that Jason has taken and we appreciate Terry Burton, the deacon that works in this area, I texted Terry right when I got it, and I was like, how in the world did we do this? And, uh, and he, he, he texted back and said that we are one of only two advertisers that have been with the town and since the beginning, and they gave us this as, as a way to say thank you and so it's a tremendous piece of advertising and uh we're we are thankful that that we've been able we've already had some from the community that said hey thank you for that calendar you guys mailed us Uh, (laughs) we said you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) also you probably had a lot of joy uh if you drove down mount juliet road on thursday and and you may have seen this sign in front of our tuesday thursday school Uh, The the horns honked all day long on Thursday for Miss Tina, and uh, she yesterday had a birthday, and Tina does a tremendous job leading and directing our Tuesday-Thursday school, but now it's also become just a Mount Juliet Church of Christ preschool. Because of demand, now we have another program that also operates on Mondays and Wednesdays, and what a, a wonderful blessing it is for us as a church family, but even in the community. Many people know us as a congregation because of the Tuesday Thursday school I constantly run into people that is the only way that they really know us personally and uh, we're thankful for those that work and are part of this we're thankful for our children of course that are part of this and we're thankful for Tina and for uh, the many many countless hours that, that she invests of her life and her heart in this wonderful work joy of the Lord The book of Philippians is a tremendous study about joy. As we think about this topic of joy from the book of Philippians, it's interesting when we think about there are certain times of the year that we seem to focus more on joy. December, for example. You probably have read many times over the last few days as you've opened mail and etc. that this is the season of joy. Now, is that true, that joy has a season? Because if something is in season, that means that there has to be a time that it's also out of season. You hunters will recognize that very clearly. As we think about this today, I also want you to think about the idea of happiness. Not to pit happiness and joy against each other, or even to suggest that you need to choose one or the other. That's not the objective here at all. But I think it'd be good for us to understand some of the differences of happiness and joy. Listen to the word happiness. It relates to happenings. For example, I would suggest to you that Gus Adrian probably had a tremendous week of happiness this past week at least by the time Wednesday came around. He is the oldest member of the PGA. And he still golfs three times a week in Sarasota, Florida. And Wednesday, he went out with his friends, just like he always does on Wednesday. And the 14th hole, he teed off. And to his friend's surprise, this 103-year-old golfer hit a hole in one. Now, what's interesting is that he did that the first time exactly 75 years ago. And last Wednesday made his eighth hole-in-one. Now, also what's interesting is he is on the records now as the oldest member of the hole-in-one club, but he only beat Miss McLean 2007. She hit a hole-in-one at 102 years of age. Now let's think about Gus here for just a moment. And even his friends that were there that day watching. Can you imagine how many times the story's been told just over the last few days? Can you imagine the happiness? Can you imagine the chuckles and the laughter? Can you imagine the emotional thrill as they're able to tell this story about what? About what happened this past Wednesday. You see, that's the beauty of happiness. Happiness can come in a moment's time. When we least expect it, something can happen that's really good, and we immediately are flooded with the emotions that have to do with with happiness. Joy, on the other hand, joy is something much deeper. Joy is something that carries us through the best of days, but also it carries us through the most challenging days. It's a wonderful blessing to be able to say and to remind all of us here that if we're living our life in the Lord, that there's not a season of joy, but that our life in Christ is joyful. The book of Philippians is only four chapters long, and at least 16 times there is the word joy or some form of it in just four chapters. But it also should be noticed that also in this short book, Christ is mentioned at least 50 times. You see the connection? Joy is mentioned over and over. Christ is mentioned over and over. As we read this book of Philippians, we quickly learn that this is one of the epistles that Paul is writing from where? From prison. Isn't that interesting that he writes a book of joy from prison? You see, the happenings at the moment did not affect his deep relationship with the Lord that brings great joy out of that relationship. And that's what's so beautiful and powerful about joy. I'd like for you to think about this statement. I don't ask you to believe it just because I say it. I'd like for you to think about this as we're about to go into our text in Philippians, the first chapter. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 12. And I hope you have your Bibles and we'll look there. But but before we do that, I'd like for you to consider this phrase. Joy lives in people who live in Christ. Joy lives in people who live in Christ. And it doesn't matter if the happenings of the day are some of the toughest things you've ever dealt with. You still can have a joy that is connected to that relationship with Jesus that is so powerful. Paul writes this little short book of Philippians Apparently for many reasons. Let me just quickly kind of rattle off a few of them. We're going to read this one that he talks about in the first chapter that he wanted them to know how he's doing and how the gospel's doing. But the second chapter, there there might have been some kind of division, maybe just getting started. We don't see serious problems with it. But he spends several verses to talk about unity. But then to, as we go deeper into the second chapter, he also wrote to tell them that since he's in prison and he can't come to them, he wants to send Timothy. So it's kind of like a heads up, be looking for Timothy. But then in the third chapter, he addresses some false teaching. And then as we go into the fourth chapter, before it closes, it almost takes the turn of a thank you note to say, by the way, you generously supported me a few times. And I want to thank you for your missionary support. But let's go back now and let's look in the first chapter in verse 12 and let's consider some of the things here that we can see about this joy that is related to living a life in Christ. (coughs) Verse 12. But I want you to know. See, he tells us, this is why I'm writing you. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which, what? Happened. The things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so he says, I want you to know something. And then notice the brevity as he says, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. One of the things that we notice as we study the Bible is that one of the great characteristics of the Bible is how some of the authors from time to time will refer to something that was so packed with emotion in an emotionless way. We don't have time to develop that, but just plant that in your mind. It's interesting. When Paul here makes a reference and he says, the things that happened to me, this was tough. We'll mention in just a moment. And then also it's interesting How in scriptures oftentimes the writer Will refer to something in literally two or three words That's describing so much more And the brevity is absolutely amazing Let me give you an example here When he says that these things which happened to me He's talking about the entire last third Of the book of Acts If you start in the 21st chapter He That one phrase, the things that happened to me, is chapter 21 all the way to chapter 28, but then Acts stops there, and there's even more things that have happened since Acts stopped that he still is including there. And when you go back and you look at it, you're saying, that's all you're going to say about that? He doesn't feel like he has to elaborate. I guess he feels like, you know enough about how tough this has been. You know how difficult it's been. Well, what has happened? In the 21st chapter, we see literally they were beating Paul to death. The Roman soldiers had to run in to rescue Paul. And so they put him under arrest, but they put him under arrest to keep the Jews from killing him. The next day, they send him before the Sanhedrin because the Roman officials want to know, why do these people want to kill you? And so it's there that the topic of the resurrection burst out. And, and the Pharisees are so mad at the Sadducees, they literally begin to pull Paul into pieces. Now imagine that. This time, they're going to kill Paul by literally pulling him in pieces. Again, the Roman guards step in and, and they save his life again. Now he's under arrest. While he's under arrest, he has the opportunity to stand before Felix. He has the opportunity to stand before Agrippa. And finally, after he makes his appeal to Caesar, he takes that, that ship ride. You remember that voyage? In the 27th chapter, we see a horrific shipwreck. Not that they were just sailing along and then immediately, boom, there's a crash. We're talking about for days, it was the threat of death. They couldn't see the sun nor the stars. It was dark day after day. They threw all of their their luggage and baggage and and all of the cargo. They, They threw even their tackle overboard. They put cables around the ship because it was going to burst in two in the waves. And then finally, including from the captain down, except for Paul, everybody resigned themselves to the fact that all of them, hundreds on the ship, were going to die. They didn't, even though they did go through a shipwreck. And he ends up in Rome. And in Rome... It wasn't this beautiful ending. He walks in and Caesar says, you're dismissed, go home. Oh no. He's arrested or still under arrest and he's there for quite some time and it's in that setting that this is written. And how does he say it? You know the things that happened to me? All that stuff over two years now, let that sink in. What if things started to happen to you that you got very little relief until 2017? For two years at least, this has been going on. And what does he say? I want to tell you about how the gospel has really prospered since all of these things have happened. (laughs) Wait a minute, what? You're not going to relate your relationship to the fact that you're sitting in prison or at least under house arrest. No, no. I'm going back deeper than that. I'm going to where my joy is found. My joy is found in my relationship with God. And let me tell you what God is doing. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? And with that in mind, I'd like for you to notice at the end of verse 12, he says, The furtherance of the gospel. And you say, Well, how is the gospel furthered? And he gives two great examples. He says, Number one, the guards that are keeping me, they know that my chains are in Christ. Now, why is that significant? Because, see, the guards, when they first started looking over Paul, they would have thought that his chains were because of the Roman authority. Is this sinking in? This is powerful. You see, in other words, they came to understand this man is not sitting here because Rome is so powerful. If this man wanted to, this man could have not even been in this situation. All he had to do was give up on his Christ. If he just gave up on Christianity, the Jews would have never sought to kill him. If he would have just given up on Jesus Christ, he would have never been under arrest in the first place. In other words, they, the guards, came to realize... It's not Rome holding this man here. It's his conviction to Jesus. The guards literally started having a greater understanding of what it means to become a Christian. You think Paul didn't have a great influence? You have your Bible open? Flip just a few pages. We don't have a slide here, but look at the last two verses of the book of Philippians. Look at the fourth chapter. Notice how he signs off in verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are where in Caesar's household. You think Paul and the Christians in Rome hadn't made a huge impact upon that place? How does that happen? Their joy was in the Lord. You couldn't hang around Paul very long before you would hear about what? Where his joy is. What do you talk about? You talk about where your joy is. If you love your hobby, if you really love your hobby, you talk about it. If you really love your job, you talk about it. If you really love your grandkids, what do you do? You talk about them. If you really love the Lord, what do you naturally do? Can you imagine being around Paul? What was his joy? His joy was the Lord. And so here he is in prison. You say, oh, that's going to be a bitter old man. He doesn't even deserve to be there. Can you imagine how bitter he's going to be? And the guard's standing there expecting a bitter old man. And instead, what do they get? They get a man that's full of joy. Where does that kind of joy come from? Let me tell you about the Lord that saved me. Let me tell you about the Lord that I serve. Let me tell you about this joy. And not only did it affect the palace guards, but notice as we go into verse 14, Paul goes on to say that even what he has done in remaining faithful through all this has also affected the other brethren. In other words, the others that are Christians. And notice they've become confident by his chains and they are now more bold to speak the word. Isn't it wonderful when our faithfulness can edify others to be faithful also? All of us here, all of us here have, and, and I'm talking individually, not collectively. Individually, we all have been strengthened by someone else's faithfulness. You can look back and, and maybe you see a grandparent. Maybe you see a parent. Maybe you see a neighbor. Maybe you see a friend that you had that was a faithful Christian. And their faithfulness through the best of times and through the most difficult times, their faithfulness was like Paul to these people. Their faithfulness is to you that now you can say, I'm more confident because I see how beautiful it is. I am now more likely to be bold in my speech for the Lord because I've seen what it looks like. Paul, what about all these happenings? And he said, let me tell you what I've noticed about these happenings. You just stay faithful to God. And what happens then is that the joy of the Lord just starts affecting other people around you that aren't Christians, and then it starts affecting those even that are Christians around. Now, I'm not saying it'll affect all that aren't Christians, and it may not even affect all that are Christians but what a powerful effect the joy of the Lord has. Now, I'd like for you to notice how he concludes this. So let's look at Philippians, the first chapter, verse 18. Uh, we skipped some verses just for time's sake, but what he's done over those verses, he's talked about those that were out there preaching the gospel, and some may or not have had a pure motive, and some might have. But notice what his conclusion is of 18. And this is still going back to that mindset of the furtherance of the gospel that he spoke of in verse 12, and that the word of the Lord must be spoken, verse 14. Notice what he says in 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Now I want you to notice here, Paul's in prison. Paul doesn't have the liberty to go out and preach right now. And so as much as Paul would have loved preaching and and as much as he would have said, I will love preaching in the future, I want you to notice that's not what he's saying in this verse. In this verse, he is having what? rejoicing he's having joy because he hears that the gospel is being preached as a preacher i can tell you i'm thankful to be able to preach but then the question i must stop and ask myself but am i thankful that the gospel is preached are you thankful that the gospel is preached are you thankful that, that right now in, in South Sudan, uh, the gospel is being preached on the first day of the week? Are you thankful in Brazil that the gospel is being preached on the first day of the week? Are you thankful throughout Latin America the gospel is being preached? Are you thankful in the congregation I grew up in down the road? I'm thankful the gospel is preached there. What does it mean to you? And wouldn't it be sad if someone could honestly say, I, I, I kind of get bored with preaching. I never am thankful that someone is is having a sermon? Or do you realize that there's so much more depth than just setting and enduring a sermon? If we're doing it right, what's being shared is the joy of our Lord. What's being shared is the gospel that transforms lives and connects us to Jesus. And if we understand that, it ought to be our joy and our rejoicing that the gospel is preached. Where are the grandmothers that pray fervently that their grandsons will be preachers? Where are the mothers that pray fervently, Lord, give me a son. I want him to be a preacher because they love the idea of the gospel being furthered. Paul said, Let me tell you what brings joy. Let me tell you how I rejoice. I rejoice any time I hear of the gospel being furthered. Let's take just a moment and let's think about at least three things that we can pull from what we just studied. Number 1, I can see there's no badness on earth that can take away the joy of the Lord. We watched the twin towers fall in 9/11, and it was because of evilness, but it could not take away the goodness of our Lord. Here in this area, we watched a 500-year flood do a lot of damage a few years ago, and it was tough. It was hard. But a flood couldn't take away the joy of our Lord. Back about five years ago, we saw the economy crash that not only affected America, but even other parts of the world. And it affected us in a very direct way, and some with great impact. But did you notice something? It can't take away the joy of our Lord. This morning, I need to recognize that even though as long as I'm alive and on this earth, there's always going to be happenings And some of them are going to be really good. And some of them are going to be really bad. But our great joy is not tied to the happenings. Our joy is tied to the Lord. Number two, waiting is a part of faith. What if you would have went to Paul the first day that he was beaten and held in prison that night? And you can imagine the wounds. And you can imagine going to him and saying, Paul, Paul, how is anything good going to come out of this? I can imagine Paul saying, we'll just have to wait and be faithful. I can't show you today how good's gonna come out of this. Maybe you could have gone to, to Paul when, when the, the ship is wrecking. And, and, and over those days of darkness, Paul, where's the good of this? Where's the furtherance of the gospel in this? And he might have said, I don't, I don't see the furtherance of the gospel. I thought I was going to make some way with Felix, but you know, he said, I'll call if there's a more convenient season. I thought I was going to make some way with Agrippa and Bernice, Bernice but, but you know, the best he would give me is, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Here I am, and I'm in a terrible situation on this ship. Paul, where's the goodness out of this? He probably would have had to say, I really don't know what the goodness is now. Well, Paul, what are you going to do? And I know Paul would have answered this. I'm going to stay faithful to my God. Listen, during the difficult times in life and during the happenings in life, the only answer that we must give every time is, I am going to stay faithful to God. As 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because that's a part of faithfulness. Look, waiting doesn't mean that we sit there and do nothing. Waiting means that during the difficult seasons in life, we continue to march forward serving God even when we don't understand how it's all going to work out. That faithfulness is what is huge. Third, I'd like for you to see this. Paul's focus wasn't on himself, but his focus was on Christ. You see, if his focus would have been on himself, he could immediately started to compromise and make decisions that would not have reflected the Lord. In other words, think how easy it would have been for him to just say to the Jews, "You know you're right." The Gentiles, because that's, that's what really was abrasive to the Jews, was that he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And think how easy it would have been for him in prison just to send out word. Hey, uh, I've rethought really this. I, I really, I won't take the gospel to the Gentiles anymore. If, if you could just give me freedom. And think how he could justify that in his mind. In his mind he could say, I can't take the gospel to the Gentiles when I'm in prison. Why don't I just go ahead and get out of prison? It's the same difference. No, it's not the same difference. Why? Because you would have given up on your commitment to Christ. Listen, any time we start seeing life first through the lenses of me being most important, I'm going to make some horrible decisions. Any time I see life through the lenses of the Lord is most important. He is the priority. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength then we're going to be able to endure difficult happenings, pulling from the strength that is tied back to our Lord. And what a blessing that is. Will you look with me in Philippians, the first chapter, and we're going to make this as a closing point, and we're going to make this a quicker point, but please do not take away... Uh, That it's less important The truth is out of everything we've said This is probably the most important So it would be a good summary I'd like for us to read 19 But we're especially going to concentrate On 21 here Or or on 20 and then 21 Philippians 1 and 19 For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance Throughout your Though your prayer, or through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now isn't this interesting here that Paul says, let me tell you what I've determined in life. The things that matter the most is not about the temporary things of this life. And so if God wants to use me in my life, I want to magnify Christ in my life. But then if if God sees that he can do greater good by the way I die, I want the Lord to magnify me in the way that I die. Or not magnify me, magnify him in the way that I die. What's the point there? The point is, the temporary things were not directing Paul's life. Being in prison was a temporary situation. Being beaten was a temporary situation. Your job? It's a temporary situation. Oh no, I've, I've been there 35. Trust me, it's a temporary situation. Your house? It's temporary. The Twin Towers were temporary. The financial market? Remember? It's temporary. Listen, you can't point to anything on this earth and say that it's permanent unless it's the Holy Word of God or your soul. There's nothing else permanent. So how wise is it for us to invest our life in things that are not permanent? Now, they must be a part of our life, but so what we do is we invest our life in the Lord and use everything that's temporary As tools in ways that we serve God. You invest your life in the Lord and use your hobby to magnify and glorify God. You invest your life in the Lord and you use your parenting skills to magnify. You realize parenting is temporary. Being a husband or wife is temporary. Odds are one of you are going to die first and the other is going to be left single. Your job, all these things, what do you do? Live for the Lord. He is the permanent. And then everything else, everything else pulls from the joy of the Lord. And whether it's a season of waiting or if it's past the waiting and you're able to say, like Paul right now in Philippians, look at all that the Lord has done through this difficult season. But that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting in faithfulness for that difficult season to pass. And so he says in 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's pretty bold, isn't it? That's a beautiful, challenging statement. As long as I live upon this earth, the cause of Christ is going to be lifted up because I'm going to lift it up. And when it comes time to die, then I'm going to have a victory in the Lord because I trust God that much. What a beautiful, beautiful way to view life and to view death. In other words, now that is purpose. Look, a lot of you are going to be thinking about next year, what I want to accomplish in 2015, what I want to become in 2015. I want you to think about that. That's, we just read it as one of the greatest verses in the Bible about purpose. When you can live your life to magnify Christ and you can live your life so that every day you can look forward to death so that you can have the eternal reward, you have found the purpose that God has given you for your life. So what I learned today, very quickly, here's six things I learned today. Happiness is tied to circumstance, but joy is tied to Christ. Number two, when my purpose is tied to Christ, life is fulfilling and dying is victorious and both are joyful. Number three, joy isn't found in searching for joy. It is the fruit of living for Christ. Number four, joy is made up of faithful waiting. Listen, if we can't wait faithfully through difficult times, we won't find joy. Number five, joy is destroyed by focusing only on the temporary. Number six, season of joy? For Christians, joy is never out of season. And that is what is beautiful and powerful. January can be just as joyous as December. For a child of God. I hope that you're built up this morning in realizing that as Christians how much we have to be joyful about. A lot of happenings will be discouraging. Even Jesus on this earth was described as what? The man of sorrow. We're going to have difficult days on this earth, but that should never take away our connection to the joy that is in the Lord. You remember the psalmist says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. This morning, if you need to come to the joy of the Lord being your strength, we'd love to assist you. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or you're ready to, you've already done that and you're, you need to be restored, pray forgiveness, repent, confess, we would, we would love to encourage everyone here, let's leave here and let's go to our family gatherings and still letting all the happenings around dictate us. Let's make sure that us being connected to the Lord is what directs our life. Let's be servants. Let's be forgiving. Let's be kind to those that are more difficult to be kind to. Let's do all of those things, not because of what's happening, but because of who our Lord is. If we